episode 22 of DevTalk, I speak to Matthew Robbins about improving Xamarin Forms developers' lives with mFractor. Welcome to another episode of DevTalk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's guest is Matthew Robbins. Hello, Matthew. Hi, Kerry. Thanks for having me on. Hello, Matthew. Uh, I believe we met two years, almost two years ago, um, at on the Microsoft campus at the MVP Summit. Yes, it would have. Been a while. And we, we uh, also... We just missed each other in the, the Xamarin office in Boston um, a few days after the summit. Yep. And you are from Australia. Welcome. You're my, my guest from the, the farthest away guest so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm based in uh, sunny Brisbane, although it's not time at the moment. So not so sunny, but yeah, beautiful part of the world. I love it down here. Really nice. And you are the active, well, I said you were at the MVP summit, so you're an active community member and also in the Xamarin space, like like me. And uh, you have something that is kind of unique in that area, in that you took your like your a lot of the the uh, people in the community have like open source projects and they uh, they work on something out in the open, and you made what I'm assuming started off like a let's see where this goes project into your your day job. Yeah, so that's right. It's kind of a half day job at the moment. So I okay. supplement this with consulting. Mm -hmm. um, so I started doing Impractor. Uh, it'd be, I think I conceptually it was formed about February 2015. And it was kind of envisioned that I would start patching up all the holes in the tooling for myself. Uh, and it's just kind of grown over the years. So I didn't initially start out with the idea that it would be a Xamarin Forms tool. It was originally designed to be a, a Xamarin Android tool. And it just it just grew and grew and grew, really, um, to the point where we're working on a Windows extension. Um, I've got a, an engineer who works with me now. So mm -hmm. I've got a, yeah, a paid employee, which is pretty pretty weird. Yeah, but it's, it's exciting. Growing slowly, but, you know, but growing. It's good. So it is a tool for developers by a developer, and uh, it's it's for right now. It is for those Xamarin developers working on macOS, right? Yeah, so that's right. Um, it's primarily targeted towards Xamarin Forms developers. We do have quite a few features that are, I guess, like ho ho uh, solve holistic Xamarin problems, mm -hmm. but primarily for the pains of Xamarin Forms development. Okay. Yeah, that, that okay. That that means Xamarin Forms development can be painful. Okay, yeah, probably the not the best way of phrasing it. Um, it, it improves the Xamarin Forms experience, the <laughs> Xamarin Forms development experience. I'm sure I'll get an email from David Orton now telling me off. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> don't worry. So this is integrated into what is now called Visual Studio for Mac, which used to be called Xamarin Studio, right? Yes, it is. So when I started the extension uh, all those years ago, it was Xamarin Studio. Mm -hmm. It was basically, yeah, still mono develop really. Um, like if you if you dive in, in under the hood of, of now Visual Studio for Mac, uh, a lot of like the core components and namespaces and like the the workloads are still based on the mono develop namespace. Yeah, and I just I kind of got lucky. I, I feel like with the like Microsoft acquisition of Xamarin um, and the rebranding of Visual Studio for Mac. Uh, and now a lot of the core editor um, from Visual Studio Windows with the modern Visual Studio APIs are being pulled in. So I've just had a lot, a lot of things go right for me, which has been really nice, really. Nice. And how did this happen? Was it was it a 
or like Xamarin Studio or, or Visual Studio for Mac plugin from the very start? Or was it, uh, did, did you write something in the, or how, how did this come to be that this is now inside the, the IDE? So it was already, like, I guess from the from day dot, the vision was to make a productivity tool for Xamarin developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time I was working at a, like a, a freight logistics company doing Xamarin Android apps. Mm-hmm. So I was working to solve the problems in the Xamarin tooling, specifically the Xamarin Android. And I, I always had the vision that I would kind of grow it out into what it is now. I, I, I didn't have this, this exact vision of um, you know targeting Xamarin forms and doing C-sharp refactorings and image management. But I, I kind of always had this general direction of where I wanted it to go um, from day dot. Okay. That's interesting that that really worked out that way. So you you started off with this, and w- was it open source at first, or, or who did you just make this for yourself? It's it's never been an open source extension. Mm-hmm. Pa- part of the reason for that is I I always felt like I could pro- productize it, um, and I I didn't feel like an open source extension was the the right way to go about product productizing something. Right. Yeah, just wanted to have it kind of tightly under my own control. And do that kind of product management feedback where you give it to users, um, you get feedback, you take it back in, iterate on it, um, and repeat that cycle. Okay. So, but how did you go about uh, getting your product uh, to those developers that need it? Uh, yeah. So initially, I published. Uh, how, how did I publish it originally? God, this is like four years ago. I think the first time I published it, I had set up my own extension server. Mm-hmm. With with uh, Visual Studio for Mac, you can publish your own extension servers. So I'd set up one of those, made like an addins.infractor.com, and then I basically went about like posting in forums, trying to get trying to get people to install it. Okay. Uh, which which took quite a bit of effort. And one of the real turning points for me uh, was when I was finally given access to upload my extension into the Visual Studio for Mac extension distribution. Okay. So because because previously you would have to open source it. So that and they would build it and then publish it, and that wasn't really something that was going to work for me. Okay, so uh, and this was uh, at, at that time it was free, or right now it can also be free for the for one of the versions. Uh, yeah, so the original version was free, so that was end of end of twenty fifteen through to uh, early twenty seventeen. It was a free tool, mm-hmm. and uh, roughly May June of twenty seventeen, it went from a, a free tool. So a, I guess like it's it's a paid extension, but it also has a free tier to it, which is certain features for Xamarin Forms development um, at four documents per day. Okay, so the the freemium model or the, like the typical App Store model. Yeah, so I, I wanted to give people the ability to get a taste of what the product can do, mm-hmm. and, and four was kind of the number of documents that I found like it wouldn't hurt hobbyists or like student developers. Right. So they could still. You know, get a feel for the product, um, get some benefits from it, and I guess I've had I've had people who were students in the past who've now exited university who are using it during uni, and now they've purchased purchased the product and got their whole team to buy it. So it's it's actually been kind of effective. Right. Nice. So can you walk us a little bit through what uh, what Mfractor can do? Yeah. So I guess at a at a high level, like what what the product is that it's a powerful extension to streamline development of Xamarin applications. In terms of what it can do, it's kind of broken down into a couple of, di- couple of different areas. So we have XAML tooling, um, which is about making the XAML development experience 
uh, much nicer. Uh, then there's asset management tooling. So things like being able to visually explore all the image assets in a, in a mobile solution, mm-hmm. being able to import fonts, being able to import images, that kind of thing. Uh, and then we have a whole range of C-sharp tools as well. So we're starting to build in C-sharp refactorings, things like if you have an interface defined, being able to generate an implementation of it, or like if, if you have a fully qualified type, being able to collapse it down into the, just the type name um, and add a using statement up the top. Okay, well, those would work also in a non-Xamarin project, right? Yes, they should. Okay, yep. so you install this uh, this extension into Visual Studio for Mac, and then you get all these um, these features. Uh, is there like like a, a new menu item where, where those are under, or how do you, how do people discover what M Fractor can do once they've installed it? Yeah, so the easiest way is to well, we have an online documentation site. That's where all, a lot of the features are listed. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like in IDE discoverability, after you install, there's a top menu item uh, that's named Mfractor. Right. Uh, that kind of like groups and exposes a lot of our features. But I think the the real like driving philosophy for me when I'm doing the product is that I I don't want people to have to discover features. They should just surface for, for them. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of this is uh, our, our XAML IntelliSense is tra- it's very transparently uh, integrated into the existing IntelliSense editor. So when you have Infractor installed, it just kind of plugs in and adds all the existing behavior without you really noticing it. I mean, you'll probably notice it when it's gone, Yeah, uh, which is a good thing for me. Another example of being transparently integrated, say you want to bring an image asset in using Infractor's image importer. Uh, we've tried to find the, the right spot for this tool. Um, and over time, we've eventually discovered that the right-click add files menu, that's where people go to add a new image asset, which isn't really surprising in hindsight. Right. Um, but it took us a long time to figure that out. So when you right-click on, say, uh, your image set, for, um, your X assets in iOS, mm-hmm. or your resources um, folder in, in Android, uh, under the add menu, there's also an image asset, and that'll bring up Infractor's image importer, which is probably our most popular feature. Can you explain what it does? Yeah. So I guess some some background just on, on image assets. So iOS and Android image assets, uh, you need to create different image sizes um, to support different device densities. Mm-hmm. So rather than having like one 1,000 by 1,000 PNG and that working across the board, you would need to support all the different phone, um, phone form factors. So you would create you know, one that's 75%, one that's 60%, one that's 50%. Just generally, they kind of get smaller and smaller as they support different device sizes. Um, and you need one of those in all these different folders in both Android and iOS. So the image importer, it lets you target that uh, 1,000 by 1,000 image. Choose the sizes that you want to make and the projects you want to import to, and then uh, generate all the different sizes in one hit. Um, it, basically, it effectively takes an operation where you would have to you know, click in and drag in all these different image sizes into pretty much a matter of seconds. It's it's a very, very useful feature. Cool, so you're using uh, like a, a rescaling algorithm or, or image library to do that, to just downscale those pictures? Yep, we sure are, that's right. Okay, that's really cool. Well, I've battled with this in the past, uh, like the, the iOS 2X and the 3X images and I don't know if there are any devices out there that still have 1X, but 
I don't think they make those anymore. Yeah, you need all these these different resolutions. Uh, oh, does this also work with the the app icon? Uh, no, it doesn't. Okay. It's funny you mention this because I keep I keep hearing this. We have a, a feature spec out for this. Mm-hmm. We just haven't built it yet because we're working on the Windows product. Okay. I, I hear the pain and it is coming. Yeah. Uh, okay. The, I was wondering there are other things where you need to supply multiple resolutions. Well, that, that's like the the screenshots and oh, I haven't submitted an app in a while in the the App Store. I, I don't really know. Can you tell us a little bit about the the Windows version and? Um, I know Visual Studio and Visual Studio for Mac are completely different worlds. What what does it mean to suddenly release your product product for just Visual Studio for Windows? I guess at, at a glance, we'll, we should have a lot more users. So based on everyone that I've talked to and all the market analysis that I've done, the bulk of Xamarin developers are on are on Windows. Mm-hmm. So think things for us will get a lot busier once we're on Windows. Um, from a technical perspective, it's been a lot of work. We've had to change basically the entire core architecture of the product to make this work. We were, it, it was always built with portability in mind, but after getting guidance from the Visual Studio team, so when I was in, in Redmond back in March this year, so 2019, uh, I was lucky enough to have a sit down with a couple of them and just kind of walk through uh, best practices and how to do things. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having to change our like our service locator, like our, our, our internal like dependency management system, been the old one and replace everything with MEF. So managed extensibility framework. Yeah. And that was that was a lot of work. But the, the benefits now for us is that we can iterate and build features very, very quickly because of it. Like again from a technical perspective, one of the big things, like one of the big challenges was uh, up until recently, uh, there were two very different editor models. So Visual Studio for Mac had its uh, its own XML editor model based on based on an old mon- like a, a legacy mono developed system. Mm-hmm. And Visual Studio for Windows uh, had a very uh, well engineered um, extensibility model. Uh, I think it was like the VS twenty nineteen SDKs or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were they were light years apart. Um, and if I'm honest, a lot of the hard work importing those like between those two editors. Um, that was kind of done for us um, by the actual Visual Studio for Mac team because they brought in the core engine of Visual Studio for Windows and it's now pretty much entirely in Visual Studio for Mac. So all we really had to do was figure out how to re-implement what we'd done um, for the Mono Developer Editor and apply it to the new APIs. And we've basically got Windows for free now, which has been pretty incredible. Yeah, that's quite an achievement that they managed to get the, that Windows editor uh, ported onto Mac. So that means they must have done quite a few things right. Yes, it's. I, I feel for the team because, my God, it must have been a mammoth task with what they had to do. Right. So you managed. You mentioned MEF or Managed Extensibility Framework. That means the all of MFractor is written in C Sharp. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So the entirety of the product is in C Sharp. I'm assuming the editor itself is a is written in C or C or something like that. No, that's written in C Sharp as well. It is okay. Interesting. Um, is that the only way to write write Visual Studio plugins, or is there like a like a native version, or how how do you? <laughs> I don't even know how to start. How I would start if I would write an extension for Visual Studio. That's a really good question. 
I I actually don't know if you can use other languages. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've seen some documentation for VB. I, I guess maybe just because I'm you know a bit of a youngin still. Well, I'm 30 now, so not really a youngin. But I don't know why you would write something in Visual Basic. <laughs> well, um, yeah, see, it's so and, popular. Yeah, I, I, it must be. I, yeah, I don't think I've ever written a line of it. So it, it's um, yeah, it, it's it's magic to me. Yeah. So I guess you could write it in Visual Basic. If you're feeling a bit crazy, you could probably write it in C++ and then interrupt interrupt using C sharp. But I guess like yeah, the go to is C sharp because it's such a good language, and I I can't see a situation where you would need to do you need to fall to like you know the, the low low levels or need a different language for it. Right. Well, my first version of Visual Studio was Visual Studio six, and uh, that was before .NET was invented. So it must have been a oh lot different back then. Um, and there were already. When was that? When was that? Um, that was in two thousand. Yeah, around, around two thousand, I guess. Yeah. I was still in primary school then. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'd even looked at like a line of code by that point. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I actually, I thought video games back in like those days because I wanted to be, become a video games developer. That was like the be all and end all for me. I thought video games uh, was that an artist had drawn every possible combination of pictures, huh. and it was played and it was played out that way. <laughs> that was my engineering knowledge. I wonder if it, uh, if there are any games that were ever written that way. But I just uh, just re- yesterday I, I realized I, I've I had my first programming job twenty two years ago. So oh wow, quite quite some time back. So you hit your twentieth anniversary with um, programming. I, I missed it already. Yeah. Oh, you should have like had like a nice date with yourself and your computer or something. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it must have been some version of Visual Studio where they introduced that uh, that you write your extensions in C sharp. Yeah, but I don't. I don't. I completely missed that. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're having. I mean, when we're doing extensions now, Visual Studio is a bit of an interesting piece to actually do extension development for, um, because it's built on. Uh, I'm sure that Raph, my engineer, will correct me on this. Is built on old COM components, if that means anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting. It's a bit like code archaeology. I feel like sometimes. Right. But actually, the analogy that I've used for this is, you know, like a really, really old city. So like some of the ones that like spring to mind is like Cusco in South America. Like they're just like built on 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 old old cities. So like pre-Incan civilization got destroyed by Incan civilization. And that's like the foundation for that city. And then that city gets destroyed. And then the, like the modern city gets destroyed. So like Visual Studio is the same thing. It's <laughs> got like the old com, old com components that hold up um, all the, like the DTE, I guess the circa last year APIs and then all the modern APIs. So it's, um, it's a fascinating history lesson looking at these, uh, these extens- extensibility architectures. Right, and I'm, I'm assuming they were completely different for Visual Studio for Mac uh, and Visual Studio for Windows at some point, and now it's converged a little bit. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like APIs, they're very different, but it's it's really really interesting because a lot of like these core concepts they seem to be replicated between IDEs. Mm-hmm. It, like it's like these two two IDEs have been written in isolation, but they have the same shared concepts. It's like everything needs these 
you know, like these certain like certain parts and there's just like a right way to do it. So it's, it's interesting working in Visual Studio for Mac for so long. And now that we're doing Visual Studio for Windows, it's like, oh, so DTE is just like IDE app or running documents table is like this. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. So what, what do you have planned next for MFractor? I, I see the the Windows release is coming up. Do you, do you have a date for that? Kind of. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very optimistic and I'm, I'm sure I'll get pulled into line for this. I, I would like to release to existing license holders uh, mid to late November. Nice. So that would, that would just be everyone who's already purchased it uh, mm-hmm. gets access to a preview version. Ideally, I would like a, a public-facing preview in December, but I think it might get drowned out in Christmas with if we try to do marketing then. And I'm yeah. also going away for a few weeks, so I probably shouldn't do that. It's not a typical Christmas present, right? No, it would be a good one. But <laughs> I think that I, I'm supposed to go out into the mountains for a couple of weeks and I won't be able to support it. So I, I don't think that's a good idea on my behalf. Right. So it, it might be January. Mm-hmm. And I, I think after that, we don't have firm plans yet on, on what's next. Um, we're starting to evaluate other IDEs as well. So what what a, what uh, like MFractor for Rider would look like in or VS Code. Nice. And we're starting to kind of look beyond as well into like what are the problems that affect like mo- mobile developers as a whole. So we like I don't know maybe in a couple of years you'll see like MFractor for Xcode or Android Studio, should be cool. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like throwing ideas out there, things that make me excited. I was wondering, do you or have you implemented features that have become uh, uh, obsolete by Microsoft basically implementing them in their IDE? Oh yeah, all the time. Okay, I I, I think they copy us. They like watch us and steal our features. Right, that's the the, the game I was watching with ReSharper over the years. That's like, oh look, these nice refactorings, and then the next version of Visual Studio has those. So. The ReSharper team has to just yeah. uh, catch up and or invent something new. But it seems like the innovation has come from there. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I've It's just a part of life for tooling development. Like, for instance, a lot of the work that I'd done on the old XAML editor, that had to get all binned, and a lot of the features were dropped. Mm-hmm. So it happens. I find that it's not hard for myself to stay well ahead of Microsoft. Maybe that sounds a little bit arrogant, um, but but they they have to go a lot a lot slower. They can't afford to, I guess, send out a bust release because people just lose their minds. And I mean, rightfully so because it's their development environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas I can iterate quickly and release quickly. And I mean, I got like tons of ideas for features, so it's not really a problem if we lose one or two every now and again. Okay, well, it's just work to do. So uh, regarding features, is there anything that's on the top of the list that, that your users are asking for other than um, icons? Yeah, so you've, you've covered that one, app icons. Mm-hmm. Um, a big thing that I'm hearing from people uh, is the ability to find and clean up unused image resources. Huh. So yeah, because it's a, it's a pretty common problem, right? You're building your mobile application. As you iterate and go through the, the cycles of, of a project, like cleanup kind of takes a back foot, you know, because, you know, you get pressure from the product team and management and they want you to actually release it rather than spend time, you know, trimming out unused image assets mm-hmm. because they, they just build up. It's just what happens in mobile development. Um, so we're looking at doing some tooling basically so that you can run a scan of the entire solution and detect assets that aren't being used uh, and then run through and nuke them all. 
Uh, and ideally, that w- we could also run that in the background every two weeks or, or whatever. That's a nice idea. I'm sure I've shipped image assets that were completely inaccessible from the UI. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very common thing. Like one of the things that I do is I do a bit of consulting. I go into you know, just poke around in people's asset folders because why not? Mm-hmm. And there's always things that are unused. And it, I mean, it's only a couple of megabytes usually, but it does kind of add up. Okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the pricing for MFractor? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so we're priced at $200 Australian dollars per user per year. Um, so what that means is if you have a team of five developers, each year you'd be looking at $1,000 Australian dollars. I mean, at the moment, our currency exchange rate is pretty horrendous. So I think 200 Australian dollars is like 130 US. Mm-hmm. And for what we offer, so like XAML analysis, there's like 80, 80, 80 analyzers, XAML IntelliSense, tooltips, code actions, image management tooling, font management tooling. You know, you, you get the idea. But Sounds fair, yeah. For what we offer, yeah, yeah, it's, um, I, I think you'll, get, you'll have that 200 AUD paid back pretty quickly. Right, yeah. Uh, just, yeah. <laughs> I guess one of those features could pay for that uh, easily in, in a day. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, like I've had people who. So we have a okay. So another feature, right? So we have um, a localization wizard. So lo- localizing apps is a bit of a pain in the ass, right? Because you have to, depending on on how you do it. But a common way of doing it, at least the most common that I've seen, um, is you have a ResX file. You have variants on the ResX file based on the language, like the languages that you support, mm-hmm. and you need to go through and take the string literals that are defined in XAML and C-sharp, move them into a ResX file uh, and replace each string literal with a lookup expression that can f- get the localized resource. Yeah. So that is, that's pretty painful to do. And I commonly, this is just a common thing that I've seen um, and I'm, I'm victim of it as well, is that you don't really localize your application while you're going because you, you just want to get things moving. So you just you know, stick in string literals um, and before you know it, you're kind of fixed into English or German or whatever language you've coded the app in. Yeah. So going through and retrospectively localizing an application is enormously painful. It's like one of the most tedious things that you can do. I've done that. Yeah. It hurts. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so a feature that we that we have is a tool called the localization wizard. So it's this little little dialogue that can identify all the string literals in a document, uh, and then basically move them out into a ResX file and re- replace them with a lookup expression so that can be configurable per project. So it, it means you can basically like click, 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 click and go through an application and really quickly move out all the string literals into ResX and replace them. So it makes this manual task um, very, very quick. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, um, anything else you would like to tell our listeners or, or should we just wrap it up? I mean, if, if you ever have any ideas on features um, or you want to talk tooling, just hit me up. Um, it's Matthew at mfractor.com. I, yeah, I always love talking to developers about what I can do to fix their problems. Very nice. This has been very interesting. Thank you, Matthew. No worries. Thank you very much. And this has been, been another episode of Dev Talk. We'll see each other again in two weeks. Thank you. Thank you.